Hello, I'm Stuart Deville and this is the Game Dev London podcast and today my guest is uh, an, another host of the Game Dev London podcast, Quang from Asobi Tech. Um, <laughs> howdy doody. Uh, so without further ado, I'm going to pass over to Quang to introduce himself and let you know more about him. Hey, so my name's Quang. Um, I'm part of a micro studio, Asobi Tech. That's me and my brother. My brother does the art. I pretty much do everything else, hence why I'm in front of the camera. He's not. Um, we're, uh, Asobi Tech itself has been running for about 13 years. Uh, it was kind of like m me coming back to video games, but it's taken a very long time for me to relearn everything. So uh, I guess we've only really been active as a game studio in the last five years. And then this year, We've, I've just gone full-time doing this. So it's been a long road, to say the least. That's, that's crazy cool. And yeah, it sounds like... You, well, so I, I know you've, you've been in the industry for, for quite a long time. <laughs> sure. So uh, let's, let's actually start with that. What, what was your first role in the industry? So my actual first role was mm. way back in 2000 when I was a young wee lad. Um, and I was making Game Boy games in my spare time. I made a game on the internet. Um, some guy saw it and went, I'll have to cut your jib. Would you like a job making Game Boy Color games? And I thought, hell yeah, I'm going to do that. So I quit university and went to the game, uh, went to do a job making Game Boy Color games for this guy. Did that for about a year. Uh, we worked on uh, originally the conversion of Revolt, which was a racing game that was on uh, N64, PC, Dreamcast. And we were doing the game with color version of that. That unfortunately got cancelled right near the end, uh, as things do. Uh, and then a little bit later on, we got the contract to Lego Stunt Rally, which is a wonderful track building game with Lego. Uh, we did a game with version of that. Um, I unfortunately, just before the end that ended, I burned out quite hard. I crashed and burned. Um, I was young. I didn't really know what I was doing. I was looking after myself. Um, so yeah, it didn't go very well for me. Then I went away for, I don't know, Eight ten years. Uh, I was a break dancer for about eight ten years. Um, wow. Other things. Um, before coming back to do uh, Sobi Tech. A break. I didn't know that. Or maybe I had heard <laughs> that, but it hadn't quite sunk <laughs> in until you just said it. <laughs> it's, it's quite. That's quite a, a, a change. Was that just something that you were like, almost hobbying in the background, and then thought maybe I could do this? As, so were you like a professional b boy or semi professional b boy? Yeah, we did show, um, we got paid to do breakdance. So I guess that makes you professional, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I lived the life. I, I, uh, we trained six to eight hours every day, five days a week at least. Um, then we did shows, battles. We won the UK champs in, I want to say 2004. I might be wrong. I'll double check that. But Sprite Urban Games, we won. Um, we were UK champs for a year. That was cool. Um, so yeah, as a professional dancer, um, I've always been a firm believer in a healthy body and a healthy mind. Mm. So um, I've always been relatively quite active. When I was younger, I wanted to be a stuntman. All right. Um, so it was either make video games or be a stuntman. Um, <laughs> Good combo. Um, so yeah, I've always tried to stay, phys stay physically healthy. And I quite enjoyed doing extreme things. And breakdancing was one of the extreme things that I thought, that'd be cool. Let's do that. And I did that for a while. Wow. So, uh, so what was it that brought you back to games? Um, oh, that's, I, th I don't really know. Like, I think I still played games from time to time after the burnout. But after mm. burning out, I didn't pretty much touch a computer for all that time. Um, like, 
creatively. I didn't, I didn't use it to create, I only used it to consume things, yeah. uh, video games and stuff. And then uh, I got a job finally um, for the Geek Squad in, in the UK. They had just moved over here from America and they basically fixed computers and stuff. And I was doing that on the side to earn a little bit of extra money. And uh, they were offering a decent salary to go to do that. And that kind of brought me back into technology. And I got back to enjoying problem solving. And making video games is a lot to do with problem solving. You have an idea. You think, how do I make this work? How do I make this happen? And that kind of reignited this passion for it. And it just snowballed. And, and they started making video games again. And then I founded Asobi Tech. Um, um, I did a game a week. We did all the game jams we could. I think I did about 50 game jams or, or thereabouts. Wow. Um, and it's a really great way to relearn your craft and, mm. and, and refine your process and get better at what you do. I'm, I'm a firm believer in iteration. So yeah, yeah. we did many, many game jams. Uh, we did Castle Game Jam in Orebro uh, uh, in Sweden. Uh, it was, I think, 600 developers in a castle for a week. We won best game, best graphics, best music with Mau Mau Castle. And so for the last four years, I've been working on Mau Mau Castle. All right. That's insane. <laughs> <laughs> it's been quite a journey. Yeah, yeah. So um, so that's where that whole idea for Mau Mau Castle came from. You were actually doing a game jam in a castle. Indeed, yeah. Um, we took the theme, the theme was Dimensions. Um, and there was a bunch of sub-themes as well, like pixel art um, and chip tunes and all that. And we, me and my brother, uh, we've made video games together since we were young kids, I think since we, I was 10, I think. Um, wow. And yeah, on ZX Spectrum, our first game was on ZX Spectrum. It wasn't a published game, it was just us making stuff for, our, for ourselves. Yeah. I went from the Spectrum to the Atari ST and then to PCs and the Game Boy and where we are now. Um, yeah, so the theme was dimensions, and we took that as in to mean like another dimension, and we took the, this fantasy idea of, of this flying cat dragon. We took all, a bunch of influences from 90s arcades, like Space Harrier, Outrun, and other things like that. We took some Studio Ghibli and preferences and stuff. Basically, stuff we love, all the nostalgic mm. things we like. We smushed them into a game, and we came up with a Mama Castle game about a flying cat dragon who chases rainbows on his way home to his castle. Perfectly normal idea for a game, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, just while while we're on it, that Mamau Castle, um, I've see, I saw you at one of these events where um, you had uh, it is uh, what do they call it? Elite you motion. were using hand instead of a controller. Yes. Yeah. Elite motion controller. Yeah. That's the one. <laughs> what brought you to that idea? So, uh, Mamau Castle was originally designed to be a mobile game. Um, and we took it to events to show as a mobile game. And to be honest, to get noticed as a mobile game, it's very, very difficult because mobile screens are very small. People just walk past your booth, don't care. Nothing catches their eye. And uh, I was new to this. It's like this, uh, this is this and the other game we were working on, uh, Dr. Harrison and the Bug Crystals, were the first games we were showcasing. So we were very new to this. And uh, I, I was thinking, how do I get noticed? How do I stop people from just walking past my booth and, and play it? So we took to get a bigger screen. And then we've got a bigger screen and then we've got a projector. Um, and I worked out, my brother backed an early version of Elite Motion. So we had one sitting around doing nothing, just sitting on the shelf. But we wanted, I think um, it comes back to when you were a kid and you would sit in the car and you make a hand into an airplane 
and you mm. fly your car hand out the window and it would just feel the feel the, the resistance of the air going through it and yeah. it would be quite nice to do that with Mau Mau and so we did some coding and made Mau Mau move in relation to your hand and it just fit perfectly so with our big projector hand motion controller me in a orange onesie dressed as a tiger um, mm. people would stop and look at what we were doing and and, and that's how we helped our game stand out at a, a large uh, convention where there's so many games to see so yeah i think that's where it came from that's a yeah, piece of genius um so um <clears throat> you used to as far as i can tell um be at almost every single uh, games event that there is um how are you finding it now that all of that's turned digital oh it's, it's been quite the change um, so this year has been obviously a, a weird one for everyone. Mm. Um, for me, uh, Mama Castle, we took to, in the first three years of Mama Castle, we took to 66 events. Wow. Um, so uh, that, I think, it averaged like one every two weeks, something like that, um, something crazy like that. Uh, anywhere they would take our game, I would say yes and, and go to it and show the game wherever I could. Because in my mind, the more people that saw the game, the more people would know about it, the more people would play it. And mm, yeah. we used every event. We used every event as uh, playtesting as well. So the game was refined over and over and over again, and it's got better and better. Uh, our tutorials built into the game, so that's done from uh, watching people play it and seeing where the sticking points were and, and what we need to do to help them get through the game and play it. Because obviously, you want people to get through the first part so they enjoy themselves and and and, and come back again and play game. But now the switch to digital events, this, again, it's been a weird year. Um, I actually took a, a step back from Mau Mau because we were supposed to launch originally at the beginning of the year, but things happened and we missed the launch and then the pandemic happened. Um, and I was pretty much burned out from Mau Mau and I didn't want to do any more Mau Mau. Mm. Um, so I took a sidestep and I worked on a Game Boy game, which is my first passion. Uh, and I've been really enjoying that. Uh, only just now recently come back to doing Mau Mau and doing events and pitching it and things like that. And yeah, as I was saying, the, the transition has been very strange and difficult for us because I'm used to being this loud personality on, on the show floor. Right. Whereas now you're sort of one step removed through the, through the medium of your screen. Yeah. Um, so that doesn't quite translate in some ways. Um, I don't know. It's, 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 it's tough, but it's a learning process. Yeah, sorry. It's a learning process. I'll say that. Um, the more you do, the easier it will get. Um, and I've, I've done two digital events now, um, and it's getting easier. Um, Game Dev London, it's really helped building a community there, and get to know people. And it's especially just get involved, and the more you do, the easier it gets, I think. So, like, um, obviously, networking is quite important um, in general, but how important would you say it's been for you and for your career? Oh, 100%. Um, it's probably one of the most important things um, throughout that's happened. It's very much about who you know, all industries, life in general. It's about who you know, um, because you're, you as a person will have a limited um, will have a limited uh, skill set, a limited ability. There's only so much you can do as one person. Um, there's only so many people you will know as one person. But if someone else knows you, 
and can help you with some stuff, then that widens your reach and your abilities. Hmm. And the more people you know, it will spread. And yeah, so someone may think of you when someone's recommending, asking for recommendations. If you're known for something, someone else will pass you on to someone else. And it, again, this is all done through networking. And so networking, that I would not have done all the events I had done if I hadn't been, um, uh, hadn't had a network of people recommending me to, to do the events. Because right. I would say the majority of events we've done, I've never paid for a booth. Um, because someone else had recommended us as, oh, Mama Castle would be great at your show. Mama Castle is, is real fun. You should have it there. Uh, Quang will help you with that and so forth and that. So um, networking is super important. Um, I, I cannot underestimate, under understate how important mm. networking is. Yeah, and definitely like um, at all of the events that I've seen you at, you've been... Um, a prominent feature of that of that it, it doesn't matter where they pick you it seems like you're you're never going to miss the the Mau Mau castle stand and it's like you mentioned earlier obviously you you really thought about how to set that up um you you dress in your is it a tiger onesie or is it a tiger tiger onesie tiger yeah. onesie yeah yeah <laughs> um and yeah you have that big projector screen whereas everyone else has like normally a, a computer monitor or two because yeah. obviously they're setting up for the experience that people that they expect their customers to have. Like oh, I'm going to mm -hmm. be sitting here with my controller blah, 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 and there's yeah. my screen. But you, yeah, obviously you went that next level to put it. The, the, the thing you cannot miss. It's, it's similar to um, the tentacle zone. Like they have their yeah. big air filled tentacles waving about. Yeah. You're, you're not going to miss that. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so obviously you're not able to, um, market in in that way anymore um mm -hmm. and now again everything has turned into digital um what how are you uh, navigating that with like trying to promote your game um promotion i guess it's now again i'm, I'm, I'm relying on a network of people i know uh social media has obviously become the main uh avenue to reach those people Mm -hmm. and um sorry reach people in general so you, your instagram your twitter your facebook um i guess even TikTok. i don't use tiktok but i believe i hear that's what the kids fancy, the cool kids are doing yeah um and yeah so you want eyes on your game that's what it comes down to you want people to see you want uh, people to notice your game and the only way you can do that is to have other people talk about your game people don't really enjoy self-promotion People no. don't like it when it's, it's a weird thing. Like, but if you don't talk about game, who else is going to talk about your game for you? So yeah. when you go into a room and go, Hey, this is my game. Can you look at it? It's cool. Uh, people are like, I don't want to hear it. But if someone else comes in the room and goes, Hey man, have you seen Quang's game? It's really cool. That resonates so much stronger. Mm. So having built up your community and your network earlier, this will help you get the word out. I have, I'm quite active in the retro gaming community uh, for, um, being a collector and, and being um, at events for those things as well and through that I've made some really good friends and um, through uh, who are uh, either youtubers or I guess they call them influencers nowadays mm -hmm. um, and which have a good solid reach and because I've made friends with them 
your friends want to help you out. Uh, you help them out as much as you can, and then they help you out. And it, it, it's a very um, symbiotic relationship you have with people. Um, I always say, try and think about what you can do for them. Because um, the more you give, the more you get back. It's, 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 it's that simple. Mm. And um, by asking my, asking, by leaning on my friends, I've helped, they've helped me reach a much wider audience. Um, so yeah, through social media and, and uh, again, I don't like to read the word, the word influence. But I, for me, they're content creators. They make amazing content. And uh, so yeah. I, I, I call them content creators. And through their amazing content, they have an audience that they can reach. So by asking them to help you out, um, I'm, it's getting there. Um, navigating the, the digital landscape and promoting your game digitally. Um, yeah, you've got to find your audience, find find your community, and then get the word out there through your community. Yeah, it's it's um it's a hard thing for anyone to do, really. Like whether you're doing it on your own or whether you're doing it within t within a team. Like how I mean, to luckily for us, you actually interviewed um, um, Jupiter Hadley recently. And obviously yeah. she, she gave some really good tips on how you can make a relationship with like someone like a content creator uh, so that it works for both of you. Because like you say, you can't just say, oh, hey, here's my game. Um, can you go show people? Because they're going to be like, yeah. why, why would I do that? I mean, unless they're, you know, if you've got a bit of a fan base and they, they, these are people that love your game, obviously you can say to them, hey, if you do really love my game, please do share it with other people. But yeah, I think you're right. Having like some... Um, Making friends with professional people who are content creators definitely is a way of helping you to yeah. achieve that. So you mentioned uh, there that you're part of the retro gaming community. And um, I am obviously very aware that you are a big fan of retro games. Um, what would you say is your favorite golden oldie? Oh, if I had to choose just one, um, I generally, people generally ask me what my top three are, but if it's just one, I'm going to go with Game Boy Tetris. Wow. It's probably, it's probably the game I spent the most time with growing up as a kid. Uh, I was very lucky in that my, in that my father went visited America uh, the year it came out in America. And we didn't get it until a year after America got it. And um, I, I begged and pleaded for him to bring back Game Boy for me. He brought me back and it was my birthday and gave him my birthday. And I had a Game Boy a year before everyone else did in the school, which was fat, uh, amazing. Um, and te Tetris is the game you get with it, um, which is a piece of genius. Uh, in Japan, it comes in by itself, and you have to buy Tetris separately. But in America, they, the, the, the genius was they went out and got the license for, Nintendo, uh, for Tetris, and they boxed it in with it, and it was the killer app. Uh, Tetris is such an amazing game. It uh, speaks to me on so many levels. It's a purer game in that it doesn't need fancy graphics. It doesn't need fancy sound. If you strip everything back, the, the the gameplay holds up. Mm. Uh, I played Tetris Effect recently, and that's a beautiful game. It takes that core model and it adds so many layers of music, um, sound, and graphics, and it really adds to the immersive level to it. And I don't get me wrong, I, I I love Tetris Effect, but even if you took all that away, it's still a beautiful game. Um, I think as humans, we have this need. Well, I I, I don't know everyone but i have this need to put things in order 
and Tetris is that perfect game where you need to put things in order and and there's that dopamine hit every time you hit a Tetris every mm-hmm. time you get a solid block and things like that and, and, and again it's it's such a beautiful game Tetris is what would be my favorite golden oldie I think if if tidying my room was the same as playing Tetris like as soon, once I got my clothes in a nice organized line they went broop, away Hopefully not just disappear, but like maybe in, into a cupboard. Yeah, that that would be. Yeah, it's the perfect. It's like you said. It's that feeling that you get from. Oh, I've I've just put everything. I did everything right. Da 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 da. Key uh, key click bang. Then yeah, it is. It that's a good choice. I don't know. I can't think of a game that I would have thought of that can trump that. In fact, and I, and again, you're right. Like on because on obviously on Game Boy. Um, you you didn't have a, a, a wider range array of colours. You just had although I guess green is a colour. Like <laughs> all shades of green, yeah. Yeah, all shades and different textures of green. Uh yeah. <clears throat> now I've lost where I was. Oh yeah, now I remember. Um so when it comes to uh retro games, um obviously um there's a, a, a rich history of, of uh retro games. Um, what would you say is the importance of retro games in today's games industry? Um, I think there are lessons to be learned from retro games for sure. Um, the stuff we make uh, is obviously heavily influenced by retro gaming. Um, you can look at arcade and console games where uh, you they would have to grab a person's attention straight away because you'd be walking through an arcade and the arcade game will be the one that wants your, your, your coin. And through playing it for the first time, you want them to enjoy themselves. You want them to be engaged. So this can only happen um, if they know what they're doing. So you almost have to build a tutorial into the game. Um, Mario level one, one has been talked about over a million Mm -hmm. times about how beautiful it is as a tutorial level. Uh, Mega Man X on the Super Nintendo has a beautiful level one. and, and there are many, many examples of it, um, of level one being this perfect introduction to the, your game that will draw you in and ha- have you heavily invested into playing it more and more. And I think we need to take that away from it, um, from modern gaming. We need them to be accessible. We need you to draw them in from, from the get-go. You, you'll have really one chance of doing it because if mm. someone plays your game, doesn't quite get the first level, dies, or doesn't know what they have to do, they will leave your game and not come back. So you have to get that right. And on top of that, uh, iteration, we've seen it time and time again. Uh, all the classic franchises have been iterated over and over again. Um, uh, there's so many versions of Tetris, have you seen before? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mario is a great franchise. Mario Kart franchise has, has, has got better and better and better. Um, as much as I'm not a fan, but the FIFA football games mm-hmm. um, have got better year on year out sometimes the the, the increments aren't so huge but yeah. that's how it can, can go a quick on a one-year cycle uh obviously the call of duty games anything that's had a long running franchise you can see the iteration even games from the same studio so platinum games i'm a big fan of their work you can see the lineage through their games uh from bayonetta uh, sorry mad world bayonetta um the transformers game and so forth you can see they've refining refining their craft and iteration is so important you need to go back and and and, and just 
just polish it a bit more, get those edges smoother. Um, and retro gaming has done that so well. Mm. So like, obviously, um, if you were to, I, I guess when you're, when you're planning on making a game, like you have this idea in your head and then you make that game and then you release it. Is there anything that you think from retro gaming, from the, the stuff you've just mentioned with iteration, is there any way where people can kind of plan iteration into what they're doing rather than just going, well, here's my idea. I think this is what I need to make. And then making it like, I guess what I'm saying is at what point do you think people should start that iteration process? Is it a, oh, I've released it next game I'll improve or is there a way of like maybe trying to get that iteration in beforehand? Um, I wouldn't say there's a, a, a one-shot solution for that. That's the problem. Um, it's, mm. It will depend on the game for sure. Uh, Mama Castle, uh, from day one, we were showcasing. So at the Castle Game Jam, when we made it, the, 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 the event ended on a showcase. So the public were let in and they played all your games. So, and through watching people play, I iterate, we iterated for the next version. And because we've taken it to 66 shows, every show we took it to was a play test and we iterated on that. Um, so in that case, we have constantly iterated. Um, there's, oh, my brain's gone blank. I've missed the guy's name. All right, sorry. Um, there's a huge, I'm a huge proponent of, of playtesting. Um, there's the more playtesting you get, the better because mm -hmm. you as the developer know what should happen in the game. So you will play it a certain way and you understand what should be happening, but you need to have people who never ever played your game before, never even seen your game. Maybe even people who haven't even played the type of game you're making you need to see how people experience it that way because you need to understand um, when your game is out there in the wild, you won't be there to explain to people how they play the game. Mm, yeah. So um, that's, and that is, it will be done through iteration and playtesting. So through your playtest, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I reckon you should get iterating as soon as possible. Get your playtesting in, get your playtesting in, get your iterating as soon as possible. Um, if you're on a later date and it's released, um, you can always patch these days, which is great. Um, yeah. more, uh, devices, games, are, and devices are online, so you can patch lately. But you sometimes you only get that one chance to make your impact. Right. So yeah. if it's not iterated to a point where it's good enough, and you want, oh, but you know, version two point five will be better, but it might be too late by then. So get your testing in early. Um, start testing from day one. Sounds about right to me. Um, I've noticed that you've been working on uh, creating um, uh, creating a game physically, so physical distribution. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, so, as I said, at the start of the year, I was meant to release Mamma Castle, um, but things went a bit awry and um, that didn't happen. And I was kind of burnt out from working on Mamma Castle for the last uh, four years, uh, well, three and a half, I guess, from by then. And so I took a little break and went back to my roots and worked on a Game Boy game. So I've been working on a game again, and I wanted, to, I could have just released the ROM out there and had people play it through having a ROM, but I kind of wanted to do the whole experience because um, as a retro uh, gaming enthusiast, I enjoy collecting physical media. I, I enjoy the tactility of having a cartridge in a box and stuff. Um, the Game Boy games came in little plastic cases, uh, and that feeling of 
cracking it open and then getting mm. the game out. It's very, very satisfying. So I, I kind of wanted to reach back to that and reignite my love for making games. And so by doing a physical release, getting the box produced, getting the label made, getting the manual made, um, it's been really satisfying and it's been a labor of love as it were. And it definitely reignited my, my love for making games. So do you, is this just, uh, do you think this is just like a, a, a passion project or that, well, I mean, obviously it's a passion project, but like, do, do you intend on doing more of these or is this just like a, you wanting to have a bit of fun and this will get out there and see how it goes? So I've seen, being part of the retro game community, I've, I've seen that it's not a, a huge, huge community, but it's big enough and everyone is passionate about enough about it that this is actually could be a viable solution, uh, a, a viable option to make games and earn a living from it. Um, companies like First Press Games and Limited Run Games are also producing game with games because um, they also see a value in it. The homebrew scene is amazing. Uh, people make games for, for the Dreamcast, for the Mega Drive, um, the Neo Geo, uh, these old consoles, old hardware, old pieces of hardware, people are making new games for them. Because people of my age, um, roughly uh, <laughs> and are now in position where they will have some spendable cash. Like when you were a kid, you could maybe afford one game a month if you're lucky, yeah. maybe once a year, uh, yeah. you know, realistically. And you would play the game to death. You would play it backwards and forwards. You'd learn everything about it because that's, that's the only game you had. Um, so, but now we've got older, we have um, now expendable, you know, we have an income some kind we can buy these games rather than just our pocket money from my parents and there is something to be said about nostalgia and that warm fuzzy feeling it gives you um people are invested in that and people yeah. like looking backwards um and remembering the good times and people will invest in that so if you're making games for a platform that people were in love with the game boy itself has such an iconic uh, I, it's, it's just iconic, you know, like everyone who knows, everyone knows who, what Game Boy is. My parents know what Game Boy is, you know, the fact mm. that I asked them. But, you know, people who aren't into gaming know what Game Boy is. That, that, that old DMG shape um, is so iconic. Um, so there's so much nostalgia built into that. I, I think, yes, it's totally viable. It's totally a viable option. Uh, I know um, uh, Matt Phillips made Tanglewood for the Mega Drive. And he, he did really well with that. He kickstarted did well. Uh, and then the guys at Bitmap Bureau, um, um, Mike and Matt, uh, did Xeno Crisis, and they've done a great job with that. Um, and yeah, it seems like there is it is a viable option if you enjoy that sort of thing. Again, you won't make you won't make millions through it, yeah, I'm sure, but you'll be happy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's definitely part of what what should drive you, isn't it? Right. I mean, Money is all well and good, but if it's not making you happy, what you're even doing. So, like, I guess the other thing is, um, a lot of people our age um, have <laughs> still have these consoles, right? Like, yeah. I, I personally actually don't have the Game Boy. That I used to have a Game Boy Color. I don't know. I lost it in one of the many moves throughout my life. Um, but I, weirdly enough, I do still have the old school Atari with like the the faux wood paneling. So, yeah, um, be interesting to see if that still works actually. <clears throat> you know the, the guys who made um halo did a port a, a make to, to the atari 2600 so you can get halo for your atari 2600 on a cartridge oh wow that is cool <laughs> <laughs> um 
I wonder, so they would, would they have had to have done a special port for the controls, I guess? Um, it's literally the same. It's, it's, it's one controller and one button. And um, the, it, it kind of plays like an old school, I don't know if you play something like Berserk or Frenzy. Mm, right. Uh, this is, you just run around and you fire and, and there's grunts and there's trees and stuff. It's, <laughs> it, it's just a fun, fun remake, um, which yeah. they wanted to do and they made a cartridge for it. So I don't know how many copies that there are out there. It was a limited run, but again, it was a layer of love. So obviously, um, the rest of this, the I say the rest of the games industry, a lot of, a lot of what's going on in the games industry is uh, turning games into games as a service. Um, how do you think that's going to impact the industry and uh, indies especially? Um, so, from my point of view, as an indie, uh, games as a service requires a lot of investment through through time because once the game is made the game isn't just made and out there it, um, and you can forget about it you have to it's a living breathing thing that you've brought into the world and you have to nurture it and look after it um and it has to be worth your time i, I know a lot of uh, hyper casual studios will throw the games out there and if they don't work they'll kill them straight away because they don't have the time work energy or the finances to to nurture a game to to a state where it's actually making money so yeah. if it doesn't make money straight away you know it's gone it's out of there because okay and indies myself uh what we're micro shooters me and my brother mostly me um so i don't have time to um be making games that i look after for you know for years ahead but i do think there is a space for games that are for premium cost um, premium games. You pay once, and that's the game you get. Not everyone is a big fan of these micro transactions. Uh, I know personally, I'm not, but maybe I'm of this smaller um, minority that 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 you know don't want to pay constantly pay for for uh, add-ons and things like that. Um, so, games of service, yes, it it it, it it's a growing industry. It makes millions. Um, but as an indie, I, I think it's unsustainable. Um, I'm sure someone will prove me wrong. Uh, I, I would love to see that. I would love to see that. I would love to see, be able to see someone be successful with that. Um, but the size I am uh, as a studio, it's, 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 it's not going to be sustainable. So I, I, I craft games that are uh, packages that I can send out. And that's my package of love for you. Yeah. So like, um, yeah, I think from my perspective, like I'm, I'm in a very similar boat and, and, and possibly maybe even like it's a generational thing because, well, not even a generational thing, but like an, certainly an age related thing, because like when you're younger um, and you get your first mobile phone and the, you go to a mobile phone shop and they say, um, so you're just going to pay this much a month and that, that's, you, you've got your phone. And so you kind of go, okay, yeah, cool, fine. And then, so, you know, you get, you sit down at your computer and they say, here's this game, but it's this much per month. You're going to go, oh yeah, sure. Fine. But I think the older you get, the more you're like, well, I've got so many things that I'm paying off <laughs> like on a month to month basis that actually I'd rather just own this and then move on with my life. I don't want to keep adding because at, at what point are you going to get to where like everything you pay for is a service like, you're just you're gonna have no money for anything else. <laughs> um, so um, obviously you're one of our hosts at, at Game Dev London. 
Um, so, but uh, why don't you tell people where else they can find you uh, online and things? Sure thing. Um, I'm probably most active nowadays on Twitter. Uh, it's at Sobitech um, everywhere on the internet. It's A-S-O-B-I uh, Tech. Uh, Sobi is the Japanese word for play. Tech is an English word for science, the science of play, Sobitech. Um, Twitter is probably best. Uh, then you can, we have a Discord. Um, you can find us on um, Facebook, Instagram, not TikTok. I don't do the TikToks. Uh, but um, other than that, yeah, you should be able to find me on those. Or YouTube too, yeah. Um, and obviously you can find out more about Game Dev London by going to gamedev.london. Uh, we also have a Discord. You're more than welcome to come join us there. We have over 500 um, other game developers in the, in our community at the moment. So if you have questions about what what am I doing with my uh, game development career or you know uh, any, anything game dev related really, um, just come on over and have a talk with us. Um, so yeah, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Game Dev London podcast and I will see you again soon. Take care. You stay awesome. And uh, see you in the chats.